0: thanks and appreciation in that I make it a practice that when I'm singing, I always sing a little bit lower than he's playing. So uh, you don't have to put up with hearing uh, my off notes, but uh, Roy, it's always a, a privilege uh, to hear you, hear you play. And thank you, Andrew. I must say that it's um, always daunting and you know I'm, I'm really enjoying these Sunday evenings. I appreciate those of you too Come here and um, let me kind of indulge in some studies in God's Word, which is always a privilege. But in our group, our small group, um, as a matter of fact, Wes and Chris and have, have gone to John MacArthur's church for um, Wes, who was kind of from that tall, right there. And I know that uh, Chris as well learned a lot from Pastor MacArthur. And um, I really had a great time talking with the Pharisees tonight they had a pastor called Dr. Downing. Now, probably if we took a vote, how many of you know Dr. Downing? Very few of you, if any, would, would probably raise your hands. However, he was one of the most amazing preachers I had, I had ever heard and um, still have a series that he did on the 10 commandments, which kind of changed my life because it was uh, just kind of preached in a way that I really hadn't heard before. So you're gonna hear tonight somebody somewhat preaching like you've never heard before, but it won't be that impactful as it would be a Dr. Downing. But um, we're going to cover an interesting area here. And so why don't we go to prayer and then we'll get started. Our Father God, we are humbled that we can take your word and do our best to break it down and to build it back up again to help us to be more faithful to you. We are Constantly in awe of your salvation plan, which is a salvation plan that, Father God, has been just so graceful and merciful to most of us here. We would pray, Father God, that each week that we don't get dull, that we don't just assume some of the truth that we know, and then we don't dig deeper. We would pray that as we get into the word, that instead of thinking about how you wish other people would listen to it that we listen to it ourselves you've taken our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh but we seem to be in the job of making it a heart of stone again so i just pray father god that as we're talking on a few verses tonight that have to do some with church leadership and servanthood that father god that we take it personally and that we give it some thought. And that we praise you right now, Father, for our leaders and also our deacons here in our church. Thank you for the, each one who is here tonight. And we thank you for the appointment to be able to just address your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening we're going to talk about, I'm calling it the Deacon's Road. It's on 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 16. It's a a little bit interesting because it's really a two-part series because when you're talking about deacons, just about everything we talked about on elders last week fits with the deacons as well. So you'll just have to get the tape if you didn't happen to be here or the the recording. But um, one of the things that that, uh, I kind of got out of it, Roman didn't say I was uh, misleading you all, so... I took it, that really when you look at, at elders and when you look at deacons, they, the requirements are really a mature Christian. That's what it is. So in reality, all of us are held accountable to these same levels. And again, sometimes we'll hear something and we'll go, yeah, well, that's just for the deacons like we're going to hear tonight, or last week that's just for the elders. No, it's really for all of us, that any leaders we may have at our church, or people considering being leaders at our church, really their, their qualifications are no different than really what each of us would be as obedient Christians. So we'll wanna keep that in mind as we look at this. So as we're looking at First Timothy, uh, for us in the true church, it's our responsibility to seriously carry out our appointed responsibilities to their fullest. And that keeps us from being mediocre. And I used to tell my kids when they were growing up, The last thing you want to be is mediocre in anything. And that's in our control, in a sense, as long as we let the Holy Spirit help us in that way. That way we can experience true spiritual impact on those in the church and those outside the community. You know, a lot of times we talk about we have a responsibility with each other, and we do. But we also have responsibility of what's happening outside this building. And we also should be praying that our church has an impact in this community. And the way that happens is that's not an elder's responsibility, it's not our deacon's responsibility, it's each one of us as we go to our day-to-day lives. The Ephesian church was doing some things right, as we've learned, yet over time they began tolerating untruth and improper behavior. And that started undermining the testimony of their church and that's why Paul was writing and. I think he's been very gracious the way that he's written. On the other hand, I think it was also pretty direct. And that we can be thankful for today because some of us have a tendency, if somebody's not really direct, we can push off what is said in the areas where we're maybe failing in our Christian walk. And here, Paul has done a tremendous job to kind of point that out. Now in the last five Sundays, we've talked about several things. Uh, we talked about the dangers of false teachers and what impact they have not only in our hearts and as we listen to false teaching, but also the false teachers were are doing things within the body that was really deteriorating the church. We also studied and were reminded that Jesus Christ alone saves sinners. The gospel message has not changed. And they were having these teachers that were coming in, teaching individuals that You've got to keep the law. Got to keep, as I mentioned earlier, the Ten Commandments. Got to keep those. That's how you get right before God. Well, we may say, well, is that really that important? But in reality, we as human beings, sometimes we start thinking that our relationship with God is how we do on keeping the Ten Commandments. Well, He's pretty well made it clear to us that we can't do it. It's clearly we cannot be. The people we're supposed to be, apart from the salvation and the Holy Spirit, to direct us in that. And by the way, each of us helping each other do so. And that is also a responsibility we have. You know, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, really makes it very clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And none of us can boast about the fact if we are saved, if we're right before God, because it's despite us that we are right before God. It's not because of us. And it certainly is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do I go over a basic gospel comment and verse like that? Because that's where we as believers can fall very short because we get so familiar with verses, we forget what they're saying. We memorized them, we can say them, but do we live it? And do we understand what that really means? So salvation is all about faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not on our own efforts, period. We also were reminded our responsibility to be praying for others, for our leaders, and for all mankind. And this includes some of the leaders we don't like. Some leaders, we don't agree with what they're doing. And they are doing things that are against God's revealed will. However, that does not give us an excuse not to be praying for leaders that are leading our state, leading our country, um, and also what this is pointing out is those leaders in our church. All those individuals we are to be praying for on a regular basis. This is not... I'll pray for two of our four deacons because I like them. You know, that's not what we're called to do. We're not called necessarily to like, by the way, our deacons. I haven't seen anything the Bible says, and make sure you like your deacons. But I have seen that we're to love them. And the way that we're to love them is despite how we may feel, the way we may want to respond, we are to respect and love those that are in leadership our church at the same time we're also to love each other and it's very easy even in a church our size to start getting into cliques and start having you know there's three or four people that i always talk to and yet we've left off the rest of the church and so as you're hearing what's going on here today and what we're talking about on deacons i want you to keep in mind Everything I mentioned about deacons tonight is also speaking to me and you. You know, then um, just last week we talked about getting church leadership right and how important that is. And the fact of the matter is, we think that's our responsibility. No, it's really God's responsibility calling those leaders here. We have responsibilities to make sure that anyone who desires that, or anybody that we say asked to be a deacon, for instance, that they are qualified to be in that position because that, that is there, but we also have to do that in a certain way, which I'll talk about later. So this evening is First Timothy 8, 16. As I said, is the deacon's road to service. We saw last week how the elders of the Christian church needed to be prepared and qualified to continue growing spiritually and capable of protecting the flock, and that's very important. Being a, like an elder, for instance, that we studied last week, doesn't mean you happen to be a good leader out in the, in the world at your job, for instance. That isn't what the qualifications are. That's not what Uh, calling an elder or having deacons in the church is not because they happen to have a skill set that we think is good and then we ignore other things. The elders are primarily responsible for the spiritual well-being of the church. That's their main responsibility. That's why actually any deacon and really any of us if we see that Roman is busy doing some things We might ask if we could take that responsibility away so he can concentrate on studying, get prepared for us as he does on Sundays, and also to be able to go to people's houses who have certain spiritual needs, that he's free to do that. That's what we're to do. Deacons, on the other hand, are to take any responsibility they can, and yes, that's their responsibility, but it's each one of us in this church. You know, as we think about that, and as we think about deacons, think of things like this, administrative and oversight of the essential necessities to serve and take care of the physical and other needs within the church. And that, again, is for freeing up someone like, like Roman, who is currently our only elder. Now, I'm going to give a quote to Charles Spurgeon, and then we'll get into scripture because that's really what you want to get into. But uh, this is something that uh, Charles Spurgeon said about deacons. to help set our mind in place. If deacons cannot be trusted, they ought not be, be deacons at all. But if they are worthy of their office, they are worthy of our confidence. And this is an incredibly mature thinking quote. Because as we're going to see, that we'll see after we get through the reading, we're going to find that a lot of us like to evaluate. Is that deacon right or did they did something wrong? I saw him spit out in the street. I can't believe it in front of everybody. And all these other things that will make up what we think are things that aren't very becoming of a deacon office or an elder. And God makes it very clear and he knows that we have a tendency of always seeing maybe something a little negative in each individual. That's not going to be um, a priority or an opportunity for us because God makes it very clear what we are to do to be prepared to either be an elder or a deacon and carrying that out. So, Andy, my best friend in reading, would you mind reading 1 Timothy 3, 18 through
1: 16? Uh, 18 through 16? Yeah. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not indulging in much wine, not fond of dishonest gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also... And a great boldness of the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. Not in case I'm delayed, I write to you.
0: Thank you, Andy. Now, um, I had mentioned this to Andy. There's one word that he read that probably isn't in your ESV version, and it's such a significant one for what we're going to be looking at today. So um, I'll point that out when we get there. But the title deacon today is defined in many ways, and many of you have been in different churches, and you know there's different definitions, things they do. When you come across individuals who say they are deacons, you likely must ask several different questions to get a better understanding of what they do. The Bible doesn't give us, the Bible, as a matter of fact, is vague. And what are the day-to-day duties of a deacon? Very vague, pretty specific on an elder, not so much with deacons. And, you know, they really focus more on the character of the man. And that's the thing that we wanna keep in mind, the importance of the character of a man. Now, as a mature Christian, We all have that responsibility. Whether we have a title or not is not the issue. We have it before God for us to be obedient, for us to be hungry for his word, for us to be hungry to be obedient to our Lord. When a church strives to maintain a high standard of leadership, purity, and integrity, the rest of how to govern will likely fall in line with Scripture in other areas. So the New Testament uses three words for return to deacon, There are three Greek words. I know how to butcher Greek words better than anybody, so I'll try to say them. Don't hold me accountable. Diakonos, which means servant. Important to kind of keep this in mind, too, as we go on. Diakonia, which means service. And diakonio, which means to serve. Now, it's going to be important, and I'll point those out as we go through, why those are so important. But it originally was associated, believe it or not, with the serving of, anybody know? Food, serving of food. And the meaning grew in general referring to any service that supplies the needs of another person or group of people. It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Serve or minister is most common in the New Testament. As we review words found in the Bible, here's something we must consider. Principles of interpretation are really important. And it's going to be as we understand this. If you just read through this text, it looks like a simple text. It might even be a couple of reasons why a couple of you said, even Gary can handle this, so we'll come listen. But it actually does get a little challenging. With a word finding its meaning, here's how. Within the context of a book, verse, and passage. And that's required here and what we're going to be covering tonight. We need to understand the chapter we're in, we need to understand the book we're in and understand where it's taken us. Many times we find the three words for deacon, we just mention it, not referring to the office of a deacon. Maybe re- referring to the service or ministry of a believer who doesn't even hold an office. For good gr- reason, we're going to go to Acts 6. I really didn't want to, but then all the great men, because I refer to lots of um, uh, resources, they kept bringing up Acts 6 including my son, who was a deacon back in Indiana, and he goes, well, of course you're gonna mention Acts 6. And I said, okay, fine, I will. There are various opinions about this narrative. Many pastors and teachers believe Acts 6 is a glimpse of the first deacons. Even if it isn't officially the first official deacons, it is an excellent example of others picking up responsibilities so the pastors and teachers can do the majority of time on spiritual issues. So, Andy, I'm, I'm going to throw you for a loop. Would you mind reading Acts 6, verse 1 through 6? Mind? Well. In those
1: days, while the disciples were multiplying in number, there was a grumbling from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the Twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, There is not pleasing for God. It is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we, whom we may put in charge of this meal. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of
0: Thank you, exciting stuff going on here the church we're serving a lot of people taking care of basic needs like food and i don't know about you and this isn't very christian-like but i always enjoy reading where christians fail and they said and the reason why i say that is because i constantly fail and i go well maybe we do fail it doesn't give us an excuse but here People were grumbling. There seemed to be a problem about the Jews, uh, the women who were Jews in this case, were not getting um, taken care of those that were not from the immediate area. They were from out of the area, and it looked like food was taken care of the local people. The people were complaining, say, hey, we need to make sure everybody gets their fair share in what's going on here. And the elders of the time, or the teachers of the time, were saying, We don't have time to serve all of them. It's estimated that there were thousands of attendees at their church. And here they're trying to be teachers and also get the food out and other needs out to everybody. Can you imagine if you're giving out that much food? It had to be miles away and it had to be a lot of work. And there was a real need to free up the teachers and leaders of the church. Now, while these individuals are dealing with important tasks, There is nothing mentioned here later in the Bible that the assigned men here were actually called deacons. But probably any church you've gone to has always said, well, here's the example of the early deacons. I get it. I can see where that makes sense because it is the type of work that deacons do. So I say, fair enough. They definitely are worth bringing in here. However, it does appear that the best description where we can find out deacons is actually in a place called First Timothy three, where we are tonight. And that provides us with a good understanding of deacons, what deacons do, at least those around 60 AD. The instruction for church official organization is not mentioned often in the New Testament. So the Bible does not give us how to run an organization. We don't get a lot of that. We are told we're to do it in order, orderly, but It's by God's design it doesn't, and I think God's wisdom proves much flexibility in individual church organization because God knew that situations and needs would differ over time in various cultures. So in our case, our elders would have a lot of flexibility on pointing the direction of the deacons, but you might look at it and say, well, the church I came from or one I grew up in, they wouldn't have done that. Sure, that's okay, but both of them are right. They're both fine when it comes to the things to have them do. You'll notice the Bible emphasis is not on the organizational structure, but it's on a leader's purity and spiritual depth. That is the key. And again, it's not the most popular people that are to be put into these positions. As a matter of fact, they they may be quite off to themselves. They may be quiet individuals, but they're servers. In this case, when we're talking about deacons. Or as elders, as we mature a little bit as a church going forward, we may have some individuals that you go, whoa, I wonder why they and the individual are now in an elder position. Look, it's because there should have been leader purity and spiritual depth taken into serious consideration. They don't have to be the best speaker. They don't have to be the best teacher. It just says for an elder to be able to teach it doesn't mean that they come out like John MacArthur every time they speak, right? But there is a heart there and there is a spiritual purity that is important. We have already captured much of the requirements for a deacon, as I said last week, it nearly matches that of the elders. And we went into that in quite a bit of depth. In verse uh, one, Timothy 3.8, we see that a deacon, and this is getting into our passage finally, is to be a man with dignity as they care for the temporal concerns of the church. A man of dignity. The word for dignity is simnos, which means honorable, reputable, grave, serious, and stately. These are individuals that are to take, deacons are to take their responsibilities seriously. If they're looking for a badge to say, I'm the deacon of the church, Aren't, aren't I something? If that's the purpose, then that would not be the right person for the church. You want to find people have a heart to serve others. In Titus 2.2, 2, the same words are seen in the contact of sound teaching. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, which is the word we're really focusing on here and with um, deacons, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfast... So let's say it again that... They are to provide for the poor and relieve the elders from that task. As Andy read earlier, he mentioned, deacons are not to be double-tongued or in the habit of saying one thing to one person and giving another person another answer. Now, clearly, this is a problem in the church. This is a problem in the church in Ephesus. So you're having individuals who had a position in the church, but they go on this side of the room and say certain things, and then they go on this side and say certain things, creating problems, of course, in the body. But here's why it's a problem. A double-tongued person reveals that he is a person with a double heart. Flatters and slanders are double-tongued, and you don't want to be in that position. These things are not becoming to a deacon who has serious responsibility for the well-being of the church. A deacon is not to be given too much wine, um, too much wine, and not a drunkard for obviously re- for obvious reasons. Being under the influence of alcohol leads you to so many temptations, first of all, as well as poor decision making. Now, in the Christian church, I mean, I, ever since I was unsaved, I remember hearing about, well, I'm free in Christ that I drink wine. Another person says, I would never drink wine, and here's wine. Now, I've made my personal decision on what I do before the Lord on that. Other people might make something that's different. That doesn't make them wrong. Okay? Yet drinking must have been a real problem also in the Ephesian church, since it has been mentioned under both requirement lists in First Timothy. So it is an issue. What's not mentioned in there for today would be things like drugs, Whoopee, marijuana is now legal, so I guess now I can use it. Well, mind-altering anything is not to be in the place of a deacon. Uh, it's imperative that deacons are trustworthy and dependable in all their dealings with the people in the body that they serve, and here's the key, and out in the community. Do you know that, truly, if an if a, uh, elder or a deacon is gonna be considered, we ought to talk to their neighbors. Find out, really, what kind of people are they? How do they live day to day? And other people can answer that kind of a question. That's how hard it is for being in an office in the, in the church. There is no room for a drunkard deacon, even if he is a sweet and likable guy. First uh, Corinthians 10, 31-33 says the following, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So Paul took all these things that we've been talking about here and he first considered, is this helping the cause of Christ? And he would not partake if it didn't help the cause of Christ or if he was in in, um, uh, company of some people he knew, for instance, I'm just or you go back to drinking. For instance, having a glass of wine is not a major sin, all right, that I can find in the Bible. It's talking about drunkards now. People get drunk and over in excess. But in reality, just having a sip of wine could be a stumbling block for a lot of brothers and unbelievers in your community. And so we just need to look for men who are aware of these kind of things. They make decisions based on what is best for the cause of Christ, what is best for the cause of our church. Deacons are not to have a greedy spirit about them. There are too many times that they may have access to the church money or funds intended as a public service for the church or community. There could also be the same concern for church property. The possessions we have are goodwill in the community. They're all familiar that Judas had the responsibility of the apostles' money. Maybe he was the first deacon. No, he really wasn't. But he regularly felt a temptation by his greed, covetousness, and the lust of money. And we can't have men in positions that have that problem. In fact, Judas' love for the perceived comforts that money provided ultimately led him to direct betrayal of Jesus. Jesus. There is no room for a deacon who has tendency to be a modern-day Judas and might be tempted to embezzle funds due to being out of control, due to his love of money. So I hope you're beginning to see that somebody being considered for a deacon, this is serious business, very serious business, and Solomon not to be taken lightly. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who, uh, by the way, I'm reading out of right now, John 12, 4 through 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he, he was about to betray him, said, Why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? What a kind heart. Oh, may I better keep reading. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it so one of the things that Judas did very very well he was very very close to being one of the best deceivers who we're aware of he deceived the apostles for three years deceived them kind of sounds like another deceiver who's that Satan, Satan. the ultimate deceiver And so when we realize we might know somebody, and you might say, which I know you all would, boy, Gary's a nice guy, maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe what about behind the scenes? What is the character of the man? And that's what we're to do with those that are in deacon positions. You know, I'll tell you how important this topic is for our church. It makes or breaks the capability of us reaching more for the cause of Christ. If we had the wrong men as elders, we had the wrong men as deacons. We're ducks in a pond with surrounded by hunters. The only thing is, it's even more dangerous than that. We have roaring lions surrounding us. One of the reasons why you need to pray for our deacons, for our elders, We need to be in constant prayer because they get more temptation and they get hit harder than we do. Period, end of story. Because one fall of a deacon, one fall of an elder has devastating impact on the body. I'm sure with all of you who are here, some of you have been in a church where that happened. Months and months, if, if ever, it takes to recover. So now Paul moves on and says, "Holding the mystery of the faith refers to the revealing truth that was the revealed truth that was once hidden, but now clearly manifested and found throughout the New Testament." This is really cool. An example of that revealed truth is in dwelling of Christ in believers which is in First Colossians one to 26-27. Remember the Old Testament, they weren't indwelt by Christ. That was a hidden truth, mystery, that was going to happen after when? Anyone know? After the cross, right? After the cross, resurrection. All of a sudden, what do we remember happened in the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit indwelt them. This was big time stuff and was a a mystery until it was revealed. We take it as 2,000-year-old news. Colossians 1, 26, 27 says, A mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. What a way to start a week to be reminded that Christ indwells in us. Look, I was saved when I was about 26 years old. I remember clearly what life was like before. I remember clearly what I was. I remember how bad Anne was. She was horrible, but we won't get into that. Now the reality is, being indwelt in Christ it's a great thing to wake up on Monday morning and say, praise God, I'm indwelt by Christ, bring on the week. And every one of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. Amen? Amen. Another example of the revealed truth that was previously hidden is the saving gospel. Remember, they didn't have this gospel the way that we have it now. And it got revealed through Jesus Christ. Colossians 4.3 says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Praise God if he has allowed you to see the word and be able to respond in the way that we need to respond. It's him. All him. I used to think it was because I was pretty smart. Then I went back to look at my grades in school and said, nope, that's not the reason I got to find another reason why. It's because God opened our eyes, period. So to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Here was Paul in prison talking about that. There are mysteries being revealed. There are mysteries you have that we don't share enough with other people. A day shouldn't go by that we aren't sharing the mysteries that have been revealed to us. Because I'm making up a number, 90% of the people in the country don't know it. I mean, I always kind of use, at best, I think 10% of the people are saved. Meaning the majority are not. And we have the answer on what they can do. A conscience either provides guilt, shame, fear, remorse, and despair over sin, Or assurance, peace and joy due to righteousness. And that righteousness we get, once again, not from us. From the Lord Jesus Christ. We get that righteousness so that we can have assurance. That we can be at peace and have joy. Wow. You know how I like to normally end Sunday evening. What a gospel, what a Lord. Oh my a deacon and all mature Christians need to hold these truths with a clear conscience, meaning he knows and lives them out. Notice I said, us too. Now, 2 Corinthians 1.12. For our boast is this, a testimony of our conscience, that we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. I pray that God doesn't bring us worldly counsel. I pray that God will send to us deacons that understand that what their job is clearly, freeing up time in this point for our pastor to be able to take care of our spiritual well-being. Pray that other men will come who can also help him with the spiritual responsibilities. Now you might go, well, we're a small church. Now, I don't know what the numbers should be, but I do know we should have at least two, at least two elders, at least. Why? Because our pastor, and I'm here because of him, is a wonderful, wonderful man, but I know he doesn't want to be in the position to be making all those decisions. It's good to have another ear, another person or two or more to be able to run those things out. What's the best way to spend our time? Is there further outreach we can do? And it goes on and on serving our people here. Finally, deacons and elders behave. Behaviors to be evaluated prior to taking office, not after. Our appointment, they must realize that they live in glass houses. Because their lives are like an open book. And church members will constantly be evaluating their deacons and elders' personal and spiritual lives. I'm sorry to inform you of that, but it's true. And in some ways I say praise God, in other ways I say shame on us. All right. If it's done with the right heart, praise God. If we're evaluating because I know what's best, and so I keep an eye on them, that's a problem. A real problem. For those who are not elders or deacons, while assessments are expected, we all need to remember that the benefit of a doubt and grace are to be part of any evaluation. And that's where it normally falls apart. And maybe you've been in a church that's had those kind of issues. Oh, I saw an elder doing whatever, smoking a cigarette. Okay. Well, look, I don't believe smoking in cigarettes but i don't believe it's a reason to kick somebody out of office either you know why i don't believe it is because i don't see it in god's word that's why i hope roman doesn't start picking up smoking now but that is not the purpose the purpose is we let god's word guide us and helping be obedient to our elders and to our deacons That does not mean that if we see something they're doing that's against what's in the Bible, that we shouldn't address it because we should. But there are also proper ways to address that. In 1 Timothy 3.11, you may find it uh, defined... Oh, this is an important part. We're going to move into maybe the wives, but that might be not quite correct. In 1 Timothy 3.11, you're going to find that there are three things this might be addressing. If you have the ESV, I believe it does say his wives, I believe. That may be a poor translation, by the way. Or it might mean women. If you look up the Greek, it comes up women. Or thirdly, don't throw anything at me, deaconesses. There's a possibility that one, two, or all three of those fit in what I'm about ready to talk about. Now, I happen to think all three are fine. You may not, and that's okay. That's that's okay. This is not a salvation issue here. But I have been in a church where it almost caused a huge split because they were considering putting in deaconesses, and there are a lot of people who didn't want that. So anyway, on those three things, keep this in mind: Are we talking about the wife of a deacon? Are we talking about the women of the church? And are we talking potentially about deaconesses? Which I don't know, Romans. I have to ask you: Have we ever had deaconesses here? Not since I've
2: been here. Of course, standard, standard.
0: Believe it or not, standard. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, okay. I I wasn't sure. I didn't think so. But I'm going to tell you that after doing the study, I'm okay with all three. Um, I'm a little leery of the deaconess one, but that is another story. But when I saw this and said the wife, I thought, wow, because what happens is when I'm doing some study, one thing somewhere here. I do have a lot of resources at home, and this is a believer's Bible commentary by William McDonald. It's really great, gives a nice little scenario. And what happens is is that I might kind of look at a verse and come up with this whole meaning, what I think it is, and I can't wait to share it with you because I'm so smart. And then what I do is I find, whoa, I may be way off base on what this is talking about. And because of the way the word's been translated, it could mean any, but however, I've come to the conclusion, I might be the only person in the world with this, I'm okay with all three of them. I believe there's room for any of those. Uh, Christian ladies are all called to be mature Christians, right? Okay. So if it is deaconesses, okay, all right, that's all right if they're mature Christians. So this upcoming list is equally to you. In other words, ladies, about what I'm really to say is really holding all of you accountable, whether you're married to a deacon, whether you're married to an elder, and that means you, Nancy, that, you know, this applies to you to state the obvious although i must make it very clear i want you to understand what we believe in this church what i believe scripture teaches the man is married and his wife is a female partner who was married or born a woman in a marriage relationship she's a partner so a deacon or elder's wife Behaviorally can potentially disqualify their husband from official service. Yikes, that's harsh, Gary. But I'll show you why it's very biblical. If her behavior causes regular disruption in the body or community. However, we have to be careful because it can't be one of these things where I can't wait to get Nancy on this one. That's not what's being talked about here. This is talking about lifestyles in these areas I'm about to mention. If she has continuous sin, the other leaders in the church may have grounds to remove the husband from office so he can tend to his household, because as we see, deacons and elders must tend to their household. If there's a wife who is having trouble with sin or obedience, they might need to be dismissed or excused for a time to take care of that. But allow me to be clear: discussing these requirements is not to encourage building a case when an elder deacon or wife has an occasional stumble and less than perfect lifestyle. That's not what we're looking for here. As believers, we are to be in the habit of being thankful for those serving the church and encouraging each other toward faithful walks and ministries. So, if—and we do—we have wives here who are in those positions. Be gracious, merciful, support them. It's important to you. Important to everybody in the church. The four areas mentioned here for women in 1 Timothy are, number one, she must be dignified. In other words, honorable, reputable, grave, serious, and stately. Kind of sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Number two, she must not be slanderous. She should not be one who habitually accuses others falsely, given to stirring things up and trying to find faults, with the demeanor and contact of others and spending, and spreading innuendos and criticism in the church. We don't need leaders of, of their wives being that way. We don't need any mature believer being that way. Like I said, there's nobody in this room that doesn't fit under this the mature believer requirements. This type of action is brutally malicious and often, um, often clothed in false righteousness. Well, I would never do something. Did you see what Nancy did? Wow, I never would do that if I were the pastor's wife. Would you? And then it takes off. Right? By the way, it's not in my notes. There's a way if you think something shouldn't be and it's not going to your neighbor. Okay? Okay. First and foremost, you should go directly to the person, okay? Directly to the person. In meekness and in fear and address it because you might have a wrong perception. Secondly, if that doesn't work, this isn't quite church discipline. you go to, in this case, our elder. That's part of dealing with spiritual factors, all right? I wanna be careful because if you know what church discipline is, it talks about you go and approach them, then you get two or three, and we don't get a mob on, say, the wife of a leader in our church, okay? Now, she is not to be a false accuser, like Satan and his devils, for instance. Satan accused God and cast doubt on his word to Eve. Plus, as Romans said this morning, which I thought was really cool, Um, Satan was offering Eve God-likeness. And I never thought of it in that way, Roman. I love that when you said it. I wrote it down and said, include it for tonight. Mm -hmm. Satan accused Job before God and cast doubt on Job's righteousness, falsely saying that Job was egotistical, which is not true. So all women, we aren't to do this. All guys, by the way, we aren't either. Number three, she must be sober-minded and always self-controlled. The habitual inner self-government with its constant rain on all the passions and desires, hindering temptation, overbearing the checks and barriers of truth and proper behavior. 2 Timothy four five, as for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And for those men who are in a position... Their wife is to support their husband in their ministry. That is a big responsibility. If a wife does not want, for instance, someone to be uh, their husband, to be an elder, he should not be an elder. If the wife does not want them to be a deacon, they should not be a deacon until they can come within their household with the proper lineage of what they're planning on doing because it's a double ministry the man to the church the woman to her husband number four she must be faithful in all things she leads a life where she is consistently reliable trustworthy possesses a firm conviction that produces a full acknowledgement of God's revelation or truth a complete surrender to God A complete surrender to God. Not perfect, but has a complete surrender and she's doing the best she can to be obedient to God. Many people in the ministry actually do get disqualified and it's really too bad because probably it was misread that they need to be perfect. And believe me, I'm not saying that at all. They need to be human have the power of the Holy Spirit, helping them be supportive. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and 9, says we walk by faith, not by sight. So whether you're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And we have women like that with some of our deacons and elders now. What a blessing. What a blessing. Now let's retreat for a moment and consider the possibility that instead of a wife of a deacon, that 1st Timothy 3 is referring to women and even possibly deaconess. Romans 16.1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, which by the way, can also be translated, or deaconess, of the church at Centuria. Now, I can argue pretty good that this doesn't mean that we should have deaconesses in the church. But I've resolved in my mind that until I understand it better, if that became something that happened here, it would not be for a reason to leave the church. I can give lots of reasons, why I think we'd better be careful if we do that, and I'm sure we would if we ever did it, but I don't think this is one of those issues that, you know, is enough to leave a body over. But I do believe this, that whatever our leaders have decided to now, which is not, apparently not to have deaconesses, praise God. If Roman decides to tra- change that, praise God. I think he's within scripture to do it. There is no command for us to have deaconesses in the church. Okay? Look all you want. If you find it, let me know because I couldn't find it. Right.
2: Yeah. sorry for not holding off to the end. I know they talk about the spouses and the wives, but does an elder or a deacon
0: particularly have to be married? Can they be single? No, no. Right. Good question. And the answer to both of them is no. An elder or deacon does not need to be married to serve. This is just given direction if, in fact, they are married that they serve. Number two, that they have children is not a prerequisite either. What it talks about is they have their house in order. So um, I don't know about you. I find that when you have kids, keeping the house in order is a little more challenging, no doubt. But it's not a requirement for either one. Not at all. As a matter of fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was not married. Didn't have any kids that I ever heard of ever in his lifetime. So he'd be a good one to point to that it's not a requirement. However, he also says, it's better that you're not married if you can do it. But he said, there's not many of you that can do it. Really, it's better to be married, right, than to burn, and that's a whole other issue. But anyway, no, that's not good question, though. So Phoebe was recognized for a service at the church and some churches today recognize that as well. We recognize the service of women in our church all the time. We just don't necessarily have an office for that type of thing. Paul completes the chapter, and I'll I'll be completing here in just a second. Paul completes the chapter with the mission of the church and the original purpose of the letter. This is really important. Paul was concerned with the conduct of the Ephesian church and was providing several guidelines for church government. In addition of the church being the household of God which is mentioned in verse 15 it is also the pillar and support of the truth. The church has a responsibility to preserve and proclaim the truth. Let me say that again because this isn't this building and that is not Roman's job. Roman does have that job equally to each one of us. The church has a responsibility to preserve and proclaim the truth. All of us. The confessional statement in verse 1 Timothy 3:16 may have been an early song of the church, that which Andy read, and was necessary because unbelievers back in that day, and they still don't, didn't believe that Jesus accomplished as much for eternity while he was in the flesh or, or incarnation. The strength of local church leadership and service is tightly associated with how Jesus built his church. Have you heard the gates of hell not prevail? Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell not uh, prevail. What that's implying is, is because we as believers will be available to help build his church. Right? And Romans' job is to proclaim from right up here, truth now that's not very popular those that don't love the lord don't love the truth usually so we are to support him and the state of our church and the growth of our church is our responsibility we turn to the lord we turn to the holy spirit for the capability of doing it But too many times I've heard things, people say, well, that church is too big, so I don't want to go there anymore. It's too small, and I don't want to go there anymore. Neither one of those reasons for leaving the church. But in our case, it's our job to bring others into our assembly. Here's this week's assignment for all of us. Ask God for ideas how you can encourage our deacons, who are Andrew, Dean, and Chris, and Stan. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you know what? I do have Chris there. Kevin. Well, I changed it anyway. I'm just making an announcement, Chris. <laughs> but let's go ahead and say Kevin. Andrew, Dean and Kevin. All right, we found somebody who doesn't want to be a deacon, okay? <laughs> and we have our elder Roman. Let's pray for them. Ask God what we should pray to him for. And the end of our text this evening is so wonderful, it's a great way to close. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And there is where I say, what a gospel, what a Savior. Next week we'll address Paul's warning to Timothy on the fact that some will depart from the faith and that's gonna have um, a lot of news for each one of us. Thank you very much, thanks for your time. If you have any questions, Roman's ready. Notice how I pushed that off to you.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, are there any questions? No, okay. I guess we will, would you close in prayer then? Sure. Father, yeah. we
1: well, thank you so
2: much for uh, just bringing us for our deacons and we pray for andrew and for kevin and for dean and for stan and we're grateful lord for the way that they do faithfully uh, serve this, this body of christ and how they give of themselves for for the needs of this church whether it's administrative duties or even the finances and, and cleaning and, and getting things organized on the outside um and sunday school i mean there's so many things that they mostly their example of just godliness and christ-likeness and the things we read about this this evening uh, they reflect those things father and so we are grateful that you have raised up those men and i myself am grateful gospel outside of these doors to share the truth with our neighbors, the mysteries of the faith that you have given to us, uh, so that many that we know and love would also come to an understanding of who Christ is. So we give you all of the